The truth is that government doesn't change hearts. It doesn't regenerate a man or woman dead in their trespasses. Do you know what does? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We as Christians are to go into the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Christ coming to die for sinners in desperate need of a Savior, a Savior who cleanses us from all unrighteousness and makes us new. Jesus bore our sins and took upon himself the full wrath of God, and he became the propitiation of our sins. It is this gospel which changes hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. It is this gospel which brings the transformation from viewing an unborn baby as a parasite or clump of cells to a human life created by God from the moment of conception. You have just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post, God, the Gospel, and the Supreme Court. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow together in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I'm Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. Today, we will be talking about a hot-button issue in our American culture, and that is abortion. Now, this may sound like a wild way to start my very first podcast, and yes, this is my very first podcast of The Love Scribe. I am used to being behind the keyboard on my computer and writing and typing away and coming up with things to talk about that are relevant and that are going to touch the hearts of people. But I just couldn't get away from this topic, so why not start with this right out of the gate? So over the past few weeks, we've had some pivotal events in our country with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And in the midst of this, there was a chatter of another conservative justice being nominated who is an originalist, um, who's one that sticks to the Constitution and how it un is understood. Um, and we know that that justice has now been named as Amy Coney Barrett. And the talk is that this will tilt the court in favor of overturning Roe versus Wade, which has many mixed feelings um, on both sides, of course, whether you're for or against. So there can be a lot to unpack and to discuss with regards to this issue and what transpired recently. And so some of the questions that may come up is, well, as a Christian, what does the Bible say about abortion? I don't remember that word necessarily being in the Bible, but when people ask me as a Christian, what does the Bible say about it? Or the Bible never says anything about abortion. How do I answer that? And how should we view the potential state of the Supreme Court and what could transpire? Should our hope be in that? What has happened in the past history? Do, I, do we know the history of the Supreme Court as far as Roe versus Wade and, and other uh, landmark cases that have come up? Another question could be, what is needed more than anything right now? So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack some of this. Obviously, we can't get into everything, but we are going to talk about this, and maybe this will help you some. It certainly helped me as I was thinking about some of these things. So let's begin with biblical truths. This is a great place to start. So as Christians, this is the best place that we can start. So there are many people who will say the Bible does not speak directly about abortion, but it is plain in the Word of God that God values all human life, and this includes the unborn. A few passages that we can look at in the Bible help us to understand this. The first one is Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
Exodus 20 verse 13 is one of the commandments that was laid out before Moses on Mount Sinai, and it's very plain. It says, you shall not murder. And if we were honest, we would say that abortion, as believers, we understand abortion to be murder. This is the taking of a human life. And so we are not for this. Amos chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. So we can see here that God does not like the fact that the Ammonites were killing the unborn in the womb of these women. And so this will not go unpunished. We know that the development of children is controlled in the womb by God. We see this found in Job chapter 31 verse 15. It says, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So we even see in Psalm 139 that God was forming the inward parts, that we are made just like that. We are knitted together in our mother's womb, and that God knows every one of our days. They are written in the book. They were formed for us, yet as they were, as that there were none of them. So we can see this right off the bat, that God values life. Every human life is valuable. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Jeremiah 1.5, a very popular passage of scripture says, but before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now he is saying this to Jeremiah. And then we see in the Luke chapter one, verse 15, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy spirit, even from his mother's womb. And this shows us that there is a consciousness of the unborn child that he leapt in his mother's womb when Mary walked into the room and recognized that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was in her womb. We see that Paul speaks of being set apart by God before he was born. This is in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. We see in Exodus chapter 22, 20, sorry, 21, verse 22, that the Hebrew word for child is used rather than Hebrew, the Hebrew word for fetus. We can find life beginning at conception in Hosea chapter 9, verse 11. And we find in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, that God talks about six things, yet seven things that he hates. And one of those is the shedding of innocent blood. And you and I could easily say that an unborn child is shedding innocent blood when abortion takes place. So now that we've looked at some biblical passages to understand as a follower of Jesus Christ what the truth is about life and how God values human life, including the unborn child. Now we're going to look and talk a little bit about the Supreme Court. It might surprise you to know that in 1973, when the landmark case of Roe v. Wade was decided upon, 
it was decided upon by a Republican-nominated majority Supreme Court. In fact, five of the seven justices that decided the majority opinion for this case were Republican-nominated Supreme Court justices. There were only, obviously, two, since there were nine total Supreme Court justices, two dissenting. One was Democrat-nominated, and the other one was Republican-nominated. So, in this landmark case in 1973, this is what started off the issue and the belief in the, the quote, law of the land, that abortion was a right of women in accordance with the 14th Amendment. So fast forward to 1992, there was actually a case that you may not know about. It was Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And this was a case that had the potential to overturn Roe versus Wade. And what's fascinating with that case, what I find fascinating, is that when you look at the Supreme Court justices that were seated on that court in 1992, eight of the nine justices were Republican nominated. And the final justice that was still on there, that was not Republican nominated, but Democrat nominated, was actually one of the dissenters in the original decision of Roe versus Wade. So there was a massive opportunity here to overturn Roe versus Wade in 1992 with Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But what happened was, is that Roe was upheld. And this is where there were some things that happened that the, it protected the woman's right to choose in accordance with the 14th Amendment that abortion was looked upon as an issue of viability. This is where that term viability came in, which is of the ability of an unborn child to live outside of the womb. And this also overturned the trimester framework that had been put into place in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. The issues in this case involved informed consent, which is where a married woman had to notify her husband of the fact that she was going to have an abortion. This also addressed parental consent, medical emergency being def defined, and also reporting requirements. This was the first case that was presented to overturn this landmark case in 73, but instead it was upheld. And notice, it wasn't because of a particular democratically nominated Supreme Court, but it was decided upon again by a conservative Supreme Court. Now, I'm not here to bash any particular side, but the question needs to be asked, I do believe, in this moment when we're saying if we just had another Supreme Court conservative, if we just had that, we could overturn this. And again, if it could be overturned, that would be great. But I have to ask, and maybe you need to ask this too, why wasn't this done before? You see, I feel like that we're putting our hope in a court. We're putting it in a man or woman. We're putting it in in a, a leader, a government leader, a government official, or a, a particular branch of our government. But one thing as believers, we have to understand this, is that our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in a man or woman. Our hope is not in the Supreme Court. It's not in the legislative branch. It's not in the executive branch. Our hope as Christians is in Jesus Christ. And even in this time of turmoil and chaos and wickedness and lawlessness that is going on that seems to ever increase and abound, and it can even look like at times that the darkness is greater than the light, the true light that comes from Christ. We must not lose hope in this time. 
And we also cannot afford to put our hope in a man or woman. And knowing that even some of these in the past, these Republican appointed nominated justices began to lean more liberal than conservative in their views and in their understanding of what was valuable or viewed as justice in accordance with the Constitution. And so I want to challenge you with this, and if you if you haven't hopped off this already because you've gotten irritated with what I'm saying, I want you to listen and just understand something. Our hope, again, is not in these things. You, We can change all the natural laws we want. We can stack the courts with a particular political party. And even then, though actions may or may not change of people, the hearts of people are what need transformation. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. The gospel helps us to see our need for a Savior and to be brought from spiritual death to eternal life. This only happens by grace through faith in Christ. And I would point you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, before we come to know Christ, this is something that we don't really think about a lot, but we need to think about it, because this is part of the gospel. Before knowing Christ, we were children of wrath. We were enemies of God. But, in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing to boast in but Christ and the work that he did on the cross. And it is by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are saved and this is how we are transformed. We are regenerated. We are made new. It is nothing that we can do. It is nothing that we trust in our government or anything else. It is in Christ alone. And when we share the gospel, it must be Christ-centered and not man-centered. And so when I think about this, I think about um, 1 Corinthians 15. That is one of the best passages of scripture to go to that really sums up the gospel. When we look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is telling the Corinthians and reminding them that of the gospel that he preached to them, which they received in which they stand, what they stood, and by which they were being saved. And this is the same gospel by which we stand in which we are saved. Verse 3 said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then Paul goes on to talk about how in the resurrection he was witnessed by many others. And 
this is the, the gospel that we are to minister to people, that we give them hope. But we need to, again, make sure that the gospel is Christ-centered and not man-centered. And what do I mean by that? You know, sometimes when we minister the gospel to people, we can say, oh, God loves you and he has a good plan for you. And it's all about you and that you're valuable and you're this and you're that. And those things are true. But we must always remember that the gospel is Christ-centered. He is at the center of it, not us. Romans 5.8 tells us that Jesus has saved us from the wrath of God. This is what we're saved from as sinners. We are saved from the wrath of God. So it's more than just about the love of God. God is just. My hope is in Christ. And that is what I want you to think about today, brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to put your hope and your trust in Christ. Because see, our world is getting darker right now. We are to be the salt and the light of the earth. We are to have a hope that the world does not have. And our hope is not in a man or woman. Our hope is in Christ alone. And something that we need to think about here is that the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be at the forefront of our, of our thoughts. It needs to be on the forefront of our lips when we're speaking to people and when we're thinking about people's eternities. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves people. It is the hearts of people that need transformation. Not necessarily just laws, because we can have all these laws, but the hearts of people can still be deceitful and wicked. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is our only hope in changing people. As I was reading in the beginning from that blog post, that's what changes a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That is what causes people to look at an unborn child and to see them valuable and to not read into an argument that is 40 years too old about clump of cells or to have college-age students believe falsely that a unborn baby is a parasite sucking on the mother and draining them. These are not biblically based, nor is that scientifically based, if we want to be honest about it. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves you and I. It's what saves those that are desperately in need of a Savior. And so I want to point us back to that the gospel is what helps us to see our need for a Savior and to be brought from spiritual death to eternal life. This only happens by grace through faith in Christ and makes us new, brings us out of spiritual death into eternal life. This is what the hope that we have to share. This is what we need to be leading people towards. Not just another uh, decision on our federal branch of our government, but we are to minister the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to burst your bubble for just a second. The Bible is not about us. It is about God. It is Christ-centered through and through. It always points back to Christ, whether it's the feasts, um, which we need to, as a side note, we need to be aware of that, that the feasts don't point to a man or woman. They point to Christ. They always pointed back to Christ. The law always pointed back to Christ. Everything was a type and shadow that pointed back to Jesus Christ. So when we minister the gospel, we are to keep it Christ-centered. And we are to also present the gospel as such. Not only that it's just the love of God, but it's the mercy, the wrath, the justice of God. He is all those in one. He is perfect. He is immutable. 
There are so many places that we could take people in scripture to show them the truth, the good news. The good news is, is that Christ came and that he died on our behalf for our sins and he satisfied the wrath of God, the propitiation of our sins, and that we are made to be reconciled back to the Father by our repentance and our confession in our faith alone in Christ. So I hope that this podcast has blessed you. I hope that it has brought some reminders to the forefront of your understanding and your faith. And above all, I want to point you back to Scripture because this is the foundation upon which we stand. This is how we heard the gospel was through the sharing of the Scripture, which points back to Christ. He is the Word, and we are to love the one who is the Word. I want to encourage you today that if you may be getting frustrated or you may be getting weighed down with the cares of this world and if the cares of the United States, if you live in the United States, I want to just encourage you, go back to the word, spend time in prayer, seek God in these matters, be at peace in him, trust him. He is our hope. This is our hope. And we are to provide this hope to those that we come in contact. Don't put your hope in the government. Don't put your hope in the decisions that are made by fallible men and women. But put your trust and hope and faith in Christ alone. If you would like to connect with me on social media, you can find me on Facebook on at Love Sick Scribe. You can find me also on Facebook on my personal page at Dawn Hill. I'm also on Instagram at Love Sick Scribe. And if you love to read and you would love to catch future blog posts that I do, you can find and subscribe to my blog post at lovesickscribe.com. I've enjoyed being on with you today, and I look forward to another time with you as we go into the Word, to the biblical truths. We talk about some current topics, and we continue to grow in our love of the Word and the One who is the Word. Blessings to you. Blessings to you.